to a special edition of our show, Herstory. On the rocks! With Katie. <laughs> and Allie. Normally just be Allie and I hanging out, just the two of us, with a couple of cocktails, talking about famous women in history. Uh, but this week, we had someone else make our cocktail for us, and we're really excited to talk to her. <laughs> we have a very special guest here with us today, Nicola Nice. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thanks for having me. Our guest today is a trained sociologist and brand strategist turned spirits producer over the past 15 years. Uh, she has watched as major spirit producers really ignore or misrepresent their female audiences. And now she is making good on her promise to bring the industry back to women with pomp and whimsy. That's right. <laughs> So do you want to tell us about the cocktail? Is that what we're doing? Yeah, because, you know, usually we make a cocktail, so we have to explain the recipe, but this is technically your cocktail. So can you tell us about the bee's knees? Well, I thought that this cocktail would be perfect for the two of you being Titanic fans. Um, (laughs) And I'm figuring that you're already pretty familiar with this cocktail and you're probably also very familiar with its inventor, Mm -hmm. uh, Margaret Brown. Mm -hmm. So how much how much do you know about uh, the bee's knees and about her and about the story? Or would you like me to tell it? Um, so I did Margaret Brown on the podcast years ago um, yeah. and because I, I love her story so much. She's one of my favorite people in history, um, but I actually did not realize that she had a connection to this cocktail. <laughs> so I'm really Tell excited to learn. <laughs> so can you give us the background on this drink? Yeah, so as a juicy new detail for you mm-hmm. to, to add to your story. Um, so the Bees Knees cocktail is a cocktail that um, sort of came to being during the Prohibition years. Uh, So it's a cocktail that we know is very popular during the 20s, but for the longest time, no one really knew who invented it, where it was invented. And the theory was always that it came from France. Um, And the reason for that is that the first publication of the recipe um, was uh, from a bartending book in 1936 um, from, I believe it was the Ritz um, in Paris, and it has the recipe. So everybody attributed that bartender to that recipe um, and that is kind of been the the story as it's been told now I can't say that I can't take credit for uncovering this version of the story um, that was done by um, another cocktail historian but someone came upon a piece in a newspaper called the Brooklyn Standard Union in 1929. And I'm going to send you this article because I think you two are just going to love this article and everything about it. Mm -hmm. Um, So the article is about this scene in Paris of women-only bars. So bars that only women could drink in. Um, And it talks about how the women who frequented these bars often came in with their own recipes and with their own requests for drinks. And in this article, which was published in, I believe, April 1929, there is reference to a certain Mrs. J.J. Brown of Denver. Mm-hmm. Maggie. <laughs> That's our um, girl. <laughs> yes. Uh, the miner's wife. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, her recipe, which is her invention, it uses that word, um, is the bee's knees, a cocktail of gin, lemon, and honey. So this is the first known reference in print to this cocktail with its ingredients directly attributing it to her. Oh, 
It's incredible. But I do want to say you put a little twist on it. So we use your gin liqueur. That's right. And it is unbelievable. It's I've so never good. I've never had gin liqueur before. What is it? <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, okay. So there's a there's a whole story to tell you about gin um, and specifically about gin liqueur. So we need to go back in time uh, about 150 years um, back to the time when people were pretty crazy for gin um, and the gin craze itself was in the 1700s um, but the, the, the British love of gin uh, continued through to the 1800s and back in the day uh, gin had the nickname mother gin so I don't know how much of the story you know of gin but I know that you're also are sort of also a fan of some royal stories. Um, so there's obviously many different things that have gone into the history of gin and you know, the relationship between the English and the French and various parliamentary acts and taxes and all of these kinds of other things. But essentially the overarching story of how it became known as Mother Gin or Queen Gin or Madame Geneva is that Queen Mary and her husband, William of Orange, Basically, when um, they took the throne, they brought gin with them um, from Holland. It, it, it was already here. People were already, I say here in the UK, mm -hmm. um, people were already drinking gin. But it, it was drinking it in the royal court that sort of made it popular. What was popular with the royals uh, became popular with the, the lords and ladies and then eventually popular um, with the with the. The, the lower people as well. Um, and when Mary's sister Anne took over the throne, she was just a well-known lush, basically. So she used to serve gin up in her teapot, apparently, in all of her um, court meetings. And that earned her the nickname in the press, Dram Shop, um, which is pretty unkind, I think. But um, I mean, at that time, people would drink gin as a juniper-based spirit because they believed that the juniper in it um, had gastrointestinal benefits. Um, so the very first use of juniper in a distilled spirits was actually by the Benedictine monks <laughs> who produced it as a medicine. Um, and so there was still this sort of belief that if you had gin in the morning and then you went on to eat like really rich food, pheasant and whatever it was they were having, that it would help you kind of digest it. So it was sort of taken um, if you like, as a medicine. And then in addition to that, uh, before there were kind of multivitamins, uh, people used to take bitters. Um, and by definition, bitters tasted bitter. Mm -hmm. um, but there was obviously different compounds of bitters be were believed to have different um, benefits, different health benefits. So putting the two together, uh, very enterprising people were like, mm, the gin kind of tastes bitter by itself, the bitters taste bitter, but if you put them together and then you add some sugar, it goes down really well. <laughs> um, and that's sort of the old fashioned way of drinking spirits. Um, so the very first uh, recipe for an old fashioned that was published was actually with gin um, mm. and not with whiskey. Um, but for those people who were not mixing their own, because actually the most expensive part of that whole concoction was the sugar, uh, because that was coming in from the colonies. Um, for those people who were not uh, able to mix their own, they were buying what we might now call ready to drink gin cordials um, from retailers. So these were gins that had been infused with other things like 
fruits and more botanicals and, and sometimes nice things, sometimes not so nice things in order <laughs> to change the flavor of it. And then the sugar was added and it was kind of bottled at a lower proof. Um, and what we know about these gin cordials is that at one time they were actually the most popular way of drinking gin. So people who couldn't afford the good stuff, the dry gin would buy this kind of version of it instead. Um, and we know in particular that um, these were really popular with women. So there's lots of examples, even as you go through the 1800s of women serving up their gin cordials, like at tea parties, there's these anecdotal stories of how they would label the bottle nig, which is gin backwards. So the servants wouldn't know they were basically having hard liquor at their tea parties. Um, so there's these kind of great stories around women and gin. Um, and so what I wanted to do when I started Pomp and Whimsy was really pay tribute to all of this. Mm. So pay tribute to the story of mother gin long before she became mother ruin um, and bring it back give her back her crown mm -hmm. and in so doing pay tribute to not just her but the styles of gin that I that you know were popular with women so fast forward to pomp and whimsy um, pomp and whimsy is a modern cordial style gin um, so what that means is we make a traditional distilled gin and I sent you some of that as well mm -hmm. um, and then we re-infuse it uh, with more fruits florals and botanicals and we very lightly sweeten it with organic cane sugar. So it's a little bit like, it's always hard talking about a spirit when, you know, other people aren't in the room. Um, so for people who haven't tried this, it's a little bit like if St. Germain and Hendrix had a baby. Uh, so <laughs> it's, it's got that sort of floral, cordial, liqueur element that put it in any cocktail like the bee's knees and it's going to make it amazing it's going to make the mother of all version of that cocktail um, but it still has that gin base so it's doing everything that a gin would do as well yeah that's so amazing so can you tell us how you got to this point where were you in your life in your career in your studies in academia that you were like you know what i'm going with spirits <laughs> Yes. Um, so I am a sociologist by training. Um, so after my first degree, I did a PhD um, in sociology. And the common theme through my whole career has been a fascination with people, a love of research. I love observing behavior and attitudes and values and beliefs and then connecting those to brands. So after my um, my PhD and some time in academia, um, I moved over into the commercial sector um, and ultimately found my way into brand strategy and market research. So I work with big companies like big alcohol companies, especially helping them to really understand who their consumer is um, and you know, where the opportunities are and how better to talk to their consumers. And it was during that research, um, and you alluded to this in, in your introduction, that I kind of felt like women just kind of as an audience were being like either just completely ignored um, or just really talked down to in the way that brands were being marketed towards them. So I always kind of ask this question and I'll ask you this question um, is how many spirit brands can you name that are actively targeted towards women? Oh, ooh. I mean, not many. Pomp and, <laughs> Pomp and whimsy. 
but no, no, it, it kind of reminds, we've talked about this scene a million times in, in Mad Men where, you know, they're kind of talking about Betty Draper buying the drinks and stuff for the party. Yeah. You know, we'll get to the hostesses in a minute, mm. but you know, it's kind of frustrating that it's not geared towards us. You know, you all the, there's all these men in the commercials and whatever, mm-hmm. when frankly, like I buy the alcohol in my house, you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. When you turn the question around and you say, well, how many spirit brands can you name that are targeted towards men or even just named after men, mm-hmm. you know, Jack Daniels, Jim Bean, George Dickel, like the list goes on and on, Johnny Walker, right? So there's just been this sort of history of um, very, I think, at least now, outdated assumptions about women as consumers that, and believe me, because I've sat in the meetings where (laughs) I've heard this, (laughs) right, where I've heard people say, executives, you know, top executives say, well, women don't drink spirits, they drink wine, right, and it's not, it's, it's not untrue to say women drink wine, but it is untrue to say women are not into spirits and cocktails, mm-hmm. right? I mean, here we are as just a perfect anecdotal example of that. Mm-hmm. But actually, the data supports it. So one in three female drinkers actually prefers spirits and cocktails over wine and beer. Um, and that's compared to one in four men. So it's actually more true to say that we are um, spirits drinkers. And and actually, you know, if we're going to make blanket statements, we can just say that men like beer, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> we yeah, may as well absolutely. just say that. <laughs> um, and the other thing is, is that there's this sort of assumption that women are afraid of hard alcohol, that like it's too strong for us. And, and we don't know, you know, it's like we don't know how to, you know, change a gasket and we don't know how to you know trade stocks and we also don't know how to drink hard spirits right and that's also just not true right and none of that is true but this sort of idea that well if we target men we'll get to women because men buy drinks for women and it goes that way around right Mm -hmm. but I think over the last especially over the last 20 years um, you know, women as women, we can now walk into a bar without a man <laughs> and buy a drink for ourselves, right? Just like we can buy other luxury products, we can buy diamond jewelry and we can buy luxury handbags and shoes. We don't need a man's permission and we don't need to be gifted it anymore. Yeah. So Absolutely. this was kind of my, you know, and I was like, well, why is it that there are just, you know, that they're not taking women seriously? Because to me, as someone in business, my immediate thought is, well, that's a lot of money you're leaving on the table, isn't it? By like, I mean, because women like to, sp- guess what? Women like to spend and they like to talk about things they like with other women, right? I mean, social media was invented for women, really, because we just love to talk and share and gossip and find out what's going on way more, actually, than men do. Um, So that sort of led me to the conclusion of, you know, first of all, it was an academic question. Well, is there some law I don't know about? (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, And then it was really more a question of, okay, I think I know the reason. And the main reason is, is that they're just historically have not been enough women behind the scenes um, when it comes to the creation marketing and selling of hard alcohol so you know when we're drinking a fine cognac or a you know a single malt scotch we're sort of drinking an old white man's view of what this category should be and it's kind of the same for for all spirits categories gin is the same too so that's when I kind of came to the conclusion okay if I'm got if if I'm only gonna I'm not going to change this from the outside right I can only change this if I dive in and if there are more women involved 
at every step of the process, then we're more likely to get better, more authentic ideas coming out the other side. So that's when I finally had that sort of urge where I was like, I need to do this. Yeah. Well, and I love too that part of your research led you to making a bibliography of these cocktail and hosting books that were written by women because there's like this one that everybody always referenced by this guy and then your website proves that there are women that predated him which by the way the covers of these books are amazing right <laughs> and all poppinonesie.com <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but what led you to wanting to create this bibliography and shine light on these cocktail books and hosting books Um, Well, I think, again, it was sort of going back to my researcher roots. Mm -hmm. So um, as you can probably tell from my accent, uh, I'm originally from the UK. So I grew up in London um, and I moved to New York City in 2007. I I moved over for work. Um, And when I when I moved over, um, I absolutely just fell in love with the hospitality scene in the city. It just kind of blew my mind. And at the heart of that, I fell in love with a cocktail. And as a sort of, you know, social scientist, and I was working for liquor companies, I was like, I need to know everything about this. Where did it come from? Who invented it? Where did all these rituals come from? What does it mean to people? What are all the behaviors around it? So I started researching and I started researching the way anyone else would, which is Googling history of the cocktail. (laughs) What are the books I should read? Um, And as I started collecting those books and I started, you know, looking at all of those 10 most iconic cocktail books you need to you know I was like where are all the women on this on these lists and in these books and I was sort of at this I was at this age and stage in my life where everywhere I was going whether it was like a baby shower or a bridal shower or a book club or a barbecue or just any event that was happening there'd be a, some sort of signature cocktail there. You know, this was like as the cocktail revival was sort of really in full force. Um, and 90, 90% of the time or more, I would say it was the hostess, the woman who was hosting, who was kind of behind that cocktail. And so I kind of had this hypothesis. Well, if women are sort of the chief entertainers and therefore chief mixologists of the home today, wouldn't it be fair to assume that maybe they always were? Um, and back when the cocktail first became a thing, isn't it fair to maybe assume that women also were doing something around then? So that's when I started to kind of dig. And, and, and my first sort of assumption was, OK, if women were not allowed in these private men's club where the cocktails were first being served, um, because, you know, the Victorians were very strict about public spaces and where women could go and couldn't go women were doing more of their entertaining at home I started to think well what what were the sort of references that they would be using like would they really be buying a bartender's guide like Jerry Thomas's first uh, the first run of his book sold 8,000 copies which is not it's not huge right I mean it's not small either but it's it's not huge right for the population so I, I started to sort of dig into well, what what were women reading? Where were they getting their housekeeping and, and home and entertaining tips? And then I just kind of unearthed this sort of treasure trove of not all of the books are books that you wouldn't have heard of before, like Isabella Beaton's Book of Household Management. Just no one had looked at that book for drinks and kind of made the connection and said, huh, she was also writing about drinks. So maybe we should actually look at what she was saying when we talk about the history of the cocktail and how it's influenced just the genre as a whole. 
So then, you know, then that just led to another and another and another. And that eventually got to a place where I was like, well, either I need to write a book, which I do about this, or I just need to put this somewhere. So anyone else who does this Google search Mm -hmm. can immediately get to the result. Right. So can you tell us a little bit about the brand Pomp and Whimsy and how you plan to gear it towards women? So my whole um, approach to this is because I often get asked this question, you know, should we be gendering spirits, right? And it's a it's a fair enough question. You could just say that, you know, all of the brands that are geared, you know, named after men, maybe they should just be more inclusive of the of a wider audience. And I think that is important. But I think that from an innovation perspective, there's also this idea of, well, if we're if we're hosting at home and usually there's a hostess who is sort of orchestrating all of the details, what if we use that as a platform for innovation and, and brand development and kind of took that angle? Because typically brand development will be done from, you know, either a kind of legacy sort of point of view of this is the history of how the spirit is made and this is the oldest distillery and the oldest techniques and the clearest water you know or they'll be very focused on you know what bartenders are doing and what's being used in in bars and you know what sort of cocktails are the ones that are mostly being made and what ingredients should go into them but what if we actually took sort of took the approach of what are people serving at home when they're entertaining and what's missing from that how can we innovate and if we're going to do that we should really talk to women (laughs) because they're the ones who are really doing it right so I come at it from this point of view of my my core consumer is a hostess um, but by definition she's hosting for men and for women Right. So there's a brand that comes from this female perspective. It's about gin, which is an inherently female spirit. And it's about the women who serve um, and entertain at home. But it's it's for everyone who would be guests of that woman. If mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah, that's yeah. amazing. That makes perfect sense. I mean, we're so excited to share your products and all these stories. You know, I'm I'm a gin drinker and I think my father taught me that. <laughs> so it's just lovely to have this fantastic gin to share with our audience because obviously we make cocktails every week. Some are really good, some are really bad. Um, but <laughs> so if someone wanted to make a drink with Pomp and Whimsy, uh, where can they find the products? Yeah, um, so we are distributed in 16 states and we ship to 33. So if you're in somewhere like New York, um, California, Florida, um, Texas, Nevada, Illinois, um, you should be able to find Pomp and Whimsy in a local store. If you're not, you can go to our website and you should be able to find somewhere to ship it either directly through us or through um, someone who ships. Perfect. Mm. Well, This was great, you know, because so you know, normally we, you know, are telling stories about women and we're making cocktails and it was really fun to hear more of a cocktail history that mm. also is based in women. It kind of feels flipped. So this yeah. is great. Yes. <laughs> now you're the woman of cocktail history. Yes. <laughs> yes. I think you, I think you would really get a kick out of a lot of these stories of women um, and some of the cocktails that we know and love, you know, I mean, we've talked about the bee's knees, um, but another cocktail that you probably wouldn't know was invented for a woman um, is the black Russian. Huh. Hmm. So the Black Russian was invented, this is a story, um, at the Hotel Metropole in uh, Brussels um, around the, the mid-century. And it was invented specifically for a guest who used to stay at the hotel, who was Pearl Mester. 
So I don't know if she's someone who you've talked about on your show, but I think you would love her because she's the original hostess with the mostess, um, <laughs> which the Broadway show was written about her. Uh, but she was also the first ever um, US female ambassador um, as well. So she was the ambassador to Luxembourg. Um, and so this cocktail was made for her. Um, and so, you know, once again, like there's just, if you sort of dig into these stories, you realize that actually women have been interwoven um, all along. Oh, it's so amazing. We're so grateful for you taking time out to come mm-hmm. and join us and talk to us about cocktails. And is there anywhere where people can follow you on social media or different um, online platforms? Yeah, please do. Well, obviously, definitely follow Pomp and Whimsy. Um, We're sort of at Pomp and Whimsy on most of our platforms. Um, We'd love to share hosting tips as well as these sort of historical stories. We're doing a whole celebration right now about Margaret Brown. So, you know, there's some video content to sort of learn more about her story. And, um, you know, we've made some beautiful pins and things that you can get if you watch the videos. Um, but if you want to follow me, I, um, I can be found on Instagram at nicola.nice. Um, or if you want to engage more professionally, um, you can find me on LinkedIn as well. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I would really recommend people checking out your website because it is beautiful. The Thank photographs you. of the cocktails, the, the covers of all these books that women wrote in the past, it's gorgeous. Well, so. and the labels on your yes. gin and all your other bottles of liquor so mm-hmm. pretty it's like a you want it on your liquor shelf you do. <laughs> <laughs> you want it, you it. beautiful it's just beautiful that's the idea well, thank you so much yeah, yeah, thanks thank you for coming here. yeah you're very welcome listening to her story on the rocks we are independently produced by 1986 entertainment and proudly recorded in baltimore maryland if there's a woman in history you would like us to cover you can email us at herstoryontherocks at gmail.com you can also message us on twitter or instagram we post all of our cocktail recipes on tuesdays so that you can go get all the supplies you need and drink along with us see you next week bye